Amazing Avenue on your listeners. Uh, welcome to our brand new show. This is officially episode one, even though we had our, I'll call it the soft opening, <laughs> shortly before opening day. But this is a pot of their own, uh, a new show by the women of Amazing Avenue. I am Allison McKaig, and I am joined by my two lovely co-hosts. Introduce yourselves, ladies. I'm Maggie Wigan, also on Amazing Avenue. And I'm Linda Servich, also on Amazing Avenue. Beautiful. Um, so this week, we will start off by um, getting our overall first, Im- first impression of the Mets. Um, they have played four games so far, and they are in the midst of their fifth one, winning as we speak, I still think. Right, Linda? <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> still winning. Great. Um, and, you know, um, they've only played one series plus one game, and so can't overreact to... Um, uh, four or five games, but you know, and can't even react. We can when... overreact, and we will overreact. <laughs> this especially is... when it comes to Big Pete. Yeah, let's be real. This is Mets Twitter, um, so <laughs> we'll overreact <laughs> a little bit, um, and you know, but can't read too much into the start of the season as we know from last season. But we can't help but get excited anyway. Um, so, Maggie, how do you feel about this team so far? I mean, it's been really fun to watch, and I feel like four and a half games in. Um, that's sort of the best you can hope for is that everything has been fun. Um, I, <laughs> all I can think of is 11 and one from last year. And part of me really hopes we don't get to 11 and one because that will forever <laughs> be like a cursed value. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's fun to see the young guys playing really well for the most part and some other bats sort of coming around uh, the pitching has been solid, especially the bullpen, which we'd all hoped. But yeah, it's, it, it's just fun, fun baseball, more fun. Yay, fun. I like fun. <laughs> Big Pete is fun, you guys. Yeah, and I kind of agree. Like, even if they do go 11 and 1, it still has a different vibe than last year. Like, obviously, we were all having fun last year, but. Um, but now it's you have like the young guys, you have McNeil playing, you have Alonzo playing, um, you know, Rosario's coming into his own. So even if they do like kind of replicate what they did last year, I feel better about it because like the future is kind of rounding into form now instead of, oh, we have Adrian Gonzalez at first base who we hope doesn't fall apart. Like here it seems... Thanks, like Linda. I had forgotten about Adrian Gonzalez until yeah. just this moment. So you block that out of your memory. <laughs> yeah, Jose Reyes on the team as well and getting way too many at bats. I'll never yeah. block that out of my memory, unfortunately. Cool. And like Cano is not Jose Reyes. Like they're in like two different stratospheres. So like even though like they do have veterans, like it's veterans who can contribute <laughs> and not Jose Reyes. <laughs> right, right. And I mean, the bench is, I mean, the bench still isn't 
super great, but the I feel much better about the bench this year than last year because instead of a guy like Jose Reyes, we have, you know, J.D. Davis, which, you know, last uh, the last game defensively notwithstanding, he's actually a threat off the bench as a pitcher. And he's still young, too. I, I didn't realize how young he was. I mean, the trade aside, like, you gave up prospects for him, but, I mean, at least he's he's shown promise, at least, like, you know, he, he was involved in the offense yesterday, and I think he was involved, you know, one of the other days he played. So he is a useful piece. And for um, for the perspective of trying to build a really flexible roster, not that any of us want this to happen, but J.D. Davis also has options. And, yeah. you know, I think yeah. I think that's partly why they're playing him so much now is because he may go down when Todd Frazier is healthy. But while I would love for him to sort of make that a non-issue, mm-hmm. it also is sort of good to have that option, <laughs> literally. And it's... And this- isn't he the two-way player, too? Like, eighth man in the bullpen, maybe? <laughs> he theoretically can pitch. The Mets... The I Mets mean, sh- I can theoretically pitch, Allison. <laughs> Fact. <laughs> um, but he, he can pitch, but the Mets have said that pretty unequivocally that they are not going to use him in that role unless it's an emergency. I mean, if we're in a situation where a position player is going to pitch, it's probably going to be him. Um, but you know, it's not going to be in a situation other than when a position player would normally pitch. So, um, however, you know, it exists. (laughs) Stranger things have happened. Yeah. Stranger things have happened. And, you know, but the bullpen, I feel good about it. I mean, you know, Edwin Diaz was a little bit of a, uh, an adventure for the first time yesterday, um. But I still, you know, someone said it's an April Fool's joke. He just loaded the bases for fun. And then was just like, <laughs> and we're done with this. <laughs> well, the so. are a weird bunch. I would not be surprised if he did. Yeah. yeah. Especially with it not being a safe situation, too. It just seemed weird. But yeah. you know what? Then he came back with three strikeouts and it was all good. So it feels really nice to just have a shut down closer and yeah. you know a guy who used to be our closer is our eighth inning guy now it feels real nice to be to feel really good about the back end of that bullpen and feel like you know if DeGrom goes seven or eight innings you can feel pretty good about the rest of the game well I love Diaz's quote like in in the opener he said at one point he turned to I think it was familiar somebody in the bullpen and he said we're winning this game like as soon as they scored the one run, he said, that's it, we're winning. I was I like, that. I like that confidence. <laughs> I love that. That's great. And I think yeah. one of the I think one of the happiest sort of timelines to come out of this whole thing is that, you know, Dom Smith and Pete Alonzo both made the team. Um, and the, instead of, you know, it being this competitive atmosphere, they're lifting each other up and they're happy for each other's success. And that's the way a successful team should be. And Dom gave some fantastic quotes. I think it was to Tim Britton of the athletic. Um, he talked about, you know, the goal is to win the world series and if both, and both of us being successful is the most conducive to that goal. So I'm thrilled about it. And that's exactly the right type of mentality you want to have. And their joy was just infectious in the dugout yesterday, too. Like, they just lit up when they saw each other. And, you know, that's 
then like the fans can feel that and feed off of that too. And I'm sure if we're feeling it, the dugout's feeling it too. And it's nice that like, despite what everybody, including myself, thought going in, there really is a spot for Dom on the team right now. And, you know, it's, it's easy to sort of undersell the importance of the lefty bat off the bench. Mm-hmm. Except when you're the only lefty bat off the bench and a potential defensive replacement and getting a spot start here and there like he is today. Which, like, I hate getting Big Pete out of the lineup, but also, Smith, you don't feel like you're you're putting your Z team out there. He's really earning the playing time that he's getting. So so it, it's nice that it's not that they're not really vying for playing time directly against each other, but that there are very natural, you know, good baseball kind of ways to bring them both in. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the fact that I am pretty universally against the bunt aside, um, I think the (laughs) Chili Davis approach has actually been pretty good so far. Like the situational hitting has been strong. It's hard to deny that. And going to the opposite field, too. They've been spraying the ball around to all fields. Which beating is, the shift you know, consistently. It takes some skill, yeah. Especially Dom. Dom's beating the shift consistently, and that's part of the reason he's been so successful so far. Is like He's not really hitting for power right now. He's hitting you know, kind of soft singles, which is fine, but he's beating mm-hmm. the shift. That's why he's finding holes. He's hitting I think as he gets more field. comfortable... I think as he gets more comfortable in that approach, we're going to start to see him ramp up. You know, what he really did in the minors that that worked for him, which was that doubles power. Yeah. He, so he's not going to hit 30 home runs in a season, but he, he might hit 30 doubles. And that's pretty valuable, especially coming from, you know, a part-time role player who can support the team in other ways. And you yep. don't need him to hit... 30 home runs. You have Alonzo for that. You have Cano for that. You have Conforto for that. So just get on base and see what happens from there. Yeah. And we're going to need, you know, these role playing types that the Mets have to be successful in order for this team to be successful. It's, you know, I feel even though it's, uh, you know, it's a well-rounded roster is what I'll say. And I, that's why that's the space where I feel better than last season, I think. It's a much more well-rounded roster with role players that are consistently good at what they do and can be, and if they're deployed properly, can make this, you know, a pretty good team. Pretty, pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree. Because even Brody, you know, that was what he was preaching all year was depth, you know. We can't have what-ifs anymore. And, you know, he made that one of his goals. And I think he... He accomplished that with the guys he did bring in. Like when Todd Frazier could t- potentially be a depth piece, like you're doing pretty good. Like if Lowry were healthy and Frazier would healthy, you know, Frazier could potentially be on the bench. And that's actually not a bad situation to find yourself in. Precisely. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. 
Priceline. Um, so kind of in this vein, um, we talked a little bit about Maggie and I talked at the ARG and I'll get more on the ARG later, but we talked about how, you know, who we think, you know, our dude is, AKA the guy who's not necessarily getting all the like attention in early, in the early going a la Pete Alonzo. Um, but a guy who, um, under the radar is really key to the success of this team. Uh, and I asked you guys to each stew on that uh, over the past few days. So Linda, who is your dude? My dude is Keon Broxton. And Juan Lagares kind of came in and put a big red nope on everything I was about to say. But uh, <laughs> oh, come on, you know he's going to break something like tomorrow. I, there was a scary moment yesterday. <laughs> X-rays were negative. <laughs> Yes, and he's back in there today, so I'm assuming he's okay. Yes, it's fine. I know Broxton hasn't really hit, like, when he has been in the majors. Like, um, I think he's, you know, he he didn't play much at all last year for the Brewers. He only had 78 at-bats. But he's two years younger than Ligaris. He's shown more pop than Ligaris. His defense is, you know, and probably not up to Ligaris' standards but it's still pretty solid. And he is a true center fielder, unlike Nimmo and Conforto. He's a right-handed bat to complement them. And he's a nice speed guy. Like, when he played on Sunday, he stole two bases. And the Mets have been lacking speed for quite a while now. And that could be another useful weapon to have as a pinch runner. Um, And so... And- I love the potential he also brings for like the pinch runner into defensive replacement role. That's a really nice pairing to have at the end of, of a game to be able to use one guy for both of those little boosts. And I think they did that on opening day. I think they ended the game with Lagaris in center and him in right. Like that's a pretty, pretty <laughs> stacked defensive outfield, especially yeah, in a tight ball game. But that if, requires. You know, then- Mickey Calloway to use the um, double switch properly. Yes. <laughs> Jim Regelman, do your job. Help him. <laughs> yeah, what put that bug in Mickey's ear. Like, jeez. But, uh, you know, so I know you give up something with the bat, but, you know, he, he looked okay in spring. Um, and the one game he did play, he was on base, I think, at least twice, maybe even three times. So he does seem like a good depth piece to have. And even when everybody's healthy, like, you know, praying, maybe even Cespedes comes back. Like, at least you have him and you're not picking up like a Jose Bautista or uh, yep. Austin Jackson. Like, you're not scouring. You guys are killing me. Yeah. <laughs> Those are things that happen, I re- Maggie. I repressed that stuff. Things that happen. <laughs> like, to have an actual Major League Baseball player that you can put in there and when there's an injury instead of seeing who got cut last week it's a nice feeling to have i think there's Maybe a serious we get to cut the guys like, <laughs> yeah yeah that would be nice and he also does have 16 adorable puppies which works in his favor too hell yeah <laughs> that, is the, that is the correct number of adorable puppies i would just like to dogs better there. than no dogs every time and starling castro just went yard so it's five to two crap crap um all right maggie who's your dude um so my dude and i just i would just like to say that last year my dude was brandon nimmo and that turned out pretty well so i had to like think about who i was going to 
to dispense my good luck to unless it reverses this year for whatever reason, in which case I apologize. But um, I'm really pulling for Rosario. And I know, you know he's, he's had the hype before, but I think a couple of, you know, just not quite there yet years sort of took the bloom off the rose a little bit. But I think he's got a really solid season in him, ready to go. Um, his bat has just started clicking the last couple of days. I think he got a double tonight if I'm reading the box score correctly. But um, I just, you know, just kind of like Broxton, I, I love the different looks that he brings to the team. Uh, I think he is going to figure out that whole base dealing thing soon. <laughs> he, he's he got the raw speed that's, that's great. Uh, he just has a tendency to pick the moments wrong, but that that's something that can be taught. Like that is a, that is a, you know, learnable skill, but you can't teach someone's feet to move faster. So, so all that good, all that good stuff is like packed in his wiry little body. And I think, I think this is going to be a really solid year. And he's, he's 23. I mean, it's, it's hard to like, I'm thinking back to my personal peak and 23 was probably pretty close to it. Um, I could still like drink tequila and, and live. So um, yeah, hoping, hoping for good things for Rosario. I think uh, he's, he's putting in a lot of time and work at it. So I think think his patience at the plate has gotten so much better. Like he's not failing at everything. Like he's trying to, you know, work out walk and he's not swinging at bad pitches. He's not getting too jumpy in RBI situations. So I think that's key for him too. Yeah. I think, I think people, like you said, Maggie, he's 23. I think people forget that. Um, Like he, there were so many people like declaring him a bust in May of last year. And it's kind of like, calm down everybody. Like I know that, you know, when you when you he have, drew a walk tonight, I just noticed. Yay! <laughs> when you have the prospect type that he has, and when you've had success on elite prospects hitting immediately the way the Mets have, in the way of like you know their pitching prospects um, that are now all in the rotation, um, you know it's easy to forget that there is a learning curve, and these guys aren't always awesome right away. And sometimes it takes time. And sometimes, you know, they have to learn a little bit at the major league level, like Rosario has had to do. Um, and I think that he is definitely due for a breakout year um, this year. And I think hopefully soon it will all come together finally. And he doesn't have to be, you know, Francisco Lindor to be valuable to the Mets. Like, just a two-and-a-half, three-war shortstop is something that is hard to find. And if he can just mm-hmm. be that, that would be fantastic. Um, so I will wrap up this part of the show with talking about my dude, who is Seth Lugo. Um, I think he is, you know, an underrated, perpetually underrated, um, part of the Mets' success. Um, even though he did get, you know, a fair amount of attention last year, um, being the first year that he was, like, pretty much full-time, um, in a bullpen role and he excelled in that role, I still think he was underrated, um, with how good he was. Um, he good. He good. Oh, he very good. Um, and, you know, given how otherwise, I guess, top-heavy our bullpen is with the back end of being a, a Diaz and Familia, um, you know, having another guy that you feel really confident in in high-leverage situations is huge. 
um, provided Mickey doesn't, you know, blow out his arm by the end of May, um, <laughs> by using him too much. Um, let's not do that, please. Um, but I think it's, you know, this is the first year that Lugo hasn't stretched out as a starter at all in spring training. They intend to use him exclusively as a reliever, which you can debate whether that's the right decision, because one could definitely argue, and I would make this case, that he is you know, one of the top five starting pitchers on the club. I don't think anyone's denying that. However, you know, his stuff plays up out of the bullpen. He can throw a lot more curveballs, which is his elite pitch. Um, and he can, you know, maybe save his UCL. People keep forgetting he has a yeah. partially torn UCL. And the lighter workload combined with throwing more off-speed pitches and fewer fastballs, I think is protective against, you know, that UCL fully blowing up, which we don't want. Um, so I think it's in that way a good decision, and he's a key cog to this bullpen. If Lugo goes well, I think that the bullpen will go well. So that's that's my dude. And also, like, I, I'm not happy about it or if it's for sure yet, but the three batter minimum, like, you need to as a starter. He's used to getting both lefties and righties out, so that wouldn't be too much of an issue for him like he can work a full inning where he can even work multiple innings so I mean even down the road he could be even more useful to have that piece where you're not worried about uh uh-oh can I bring him in with little lefties coming up or you know whatever the situation may be he still gives you flexibility well I love a guy who can um he can come in and kind of be your fire because he's that good like he's got the good stuff where you can bring him into like a bases loaded situation and feel reasonably confident in the outcome but then also um he can stay in for another inning after putting out that fire like he he kind of you know gets you a reliever who can do both yeah get you a reliever who can do both (laughs) (laughs) i love that (laughs) i think i think that's a good note to end this segment on um so um we will move to our next segment for this week which is the um more general baseball segment um this week we're going to talk about um susan waldman um so Laura Albanese, who is fantastic and if you don't know of her work i highly recommend you read her work at newsday um She wrote a piece recently um, about Susan Waldman, the play-by-play broadcast for the Yankees, um, and the um, abuse she's faced in her career. Um, And I thought it would be a great thing in keeping with this show to talk about um, that piece. And, you know, it was, you know, I don't know about you two, but I read it and I was just, like, I sat at my computer. It was one of those pieces where I read it and I sat at my computer screen and kind of stared at it for two minutes just to Mm -hmm. process what I just read. Yeah, I had to kind of come in and out of it for a while because it is, it's very raw. Like there's a lot, there's no, um, they did not edit to soften the specifics of her experience. And it's also, I think what works so well in the article and what I want to like praise Laura for, for doing is that she uses so much of Waldman's own words, which can be a real gift for uh, an article based on an interview on an interview, being able to kind of rely so much on the person's actual words, but that also sort of gives it this immediacy, this um, just having it so closely personified, this like really just grotesque uh, and scary experience that she, she had. Yeah. Like for me, it was eye opening. Like, um, you know, this, this was our lifetime. We were, I know we were talking about this a little bit 
And, you know, this wasn't like all that long ago that she was receiving death threats and just for being a woman, like she didn't do anything like awful. She just wanted to broadcast Yankee games and she was getting death threats and she was getting things sent in the mail to her. And, you know, that's that's horrifying and heartbreaking. And for her to keep going and to not give up and to open it up for the interview Jessica Mendoza and how, you know, she opened it up for all these other women and that she didn't give up. And, you know, how I can't even imagine how hard that must have been like. For me, I would have just been like, you know what? Is this worth my life? Is this really what I want to be doing? Like, you know, but, you know, she persevered and a lot of us wouldn't be here. Like, would we have this podcast if it wasn't for her? Maybe, maybe not. I, I don't know. But she did give voice to a lot of people who probably wouldn't have voices in the game today. And it's I think it's great, Linda, that you um, you say her voice, because this is something that I that I don't know how aware a lot of men are, but the actual like our literal voices as women are something that uh that get a lot of criticism like mm-hmm. and disproportionate amount and and it's i i found that like people are much more willing to read something that a woman has written but there's something about the voice you hear people say things like you know it's like my mom lecturing me about baseball it's it's there's there's something very like visceral about hearing a voice and people get very upset about it. And I think, um, the story, like some of the stories that I've heard that are not to quite the same extent as what Waldman put up with, but, but similar, um, scary things. They, they've happened to people like Julie DeCaro, who is a radio personality in Chicago. And I, and I just think that there's something about the voice that that feels very threatening to men who are inclined to, to be threatened by this kind of thing. Well, you can ignore a byline, but when yeah. women are speaking up, you can't ignore that. Like, exactly. Yeah, we're here. You can't ignore us. And we have things to say. And, you know, that might be hard for some men to hear. But also, but I also think it's also good for you know, little girls to hear that voice too. Like, you know, if you just hear men all the time, you're going to think it's, that's just how it is. It's going to be weird. But if you know, they keep hearing women, then it kind of normalizes it. Like, Oh yeah, I could do that too. Like they did it. Why can't I? But if you just see a certain segment or a certain population doing it over and over again, you're going to think, well, you know, that's just for them. That's not for me. And so to hear, you know, women, in baseball like I think that's important for little girls to hear too if they want to pursue this career you know even other male dominated things you know just say hey you know what maybe I can do that she did it why can't I representation matters to hear to hear people who sound like you to see people who look like Mm -hmm. you in things that you love means a lot Um, and I don't think that people who have been historically, you know, have not been historically, you know, discriminated against in any fashion, don't really get that because they've always seen themselves in things. Um, but, you know, even, and as we discussed, this Wald, these Waldman incidents 
didn't occur that long ago. Like this was this was in our lifetimes. This was not ancient history. And, you know, yes, we've made progress since then, but like there still aren't that many voices in in baseball play-by-play broadcasting. There aren't female voices. There just aren't. Um, and for that matter, still... there are not a lot of voices of color either. We'll Correct. put that out there. Mm-hmm. And I, I think like, you know, these are both groups that people get uncomfortable having in a position of authority. Yep. Well, even Jessica Mendoza said she, after she does the Sunday night broadcast, she takes a break from Twitter for like a day and a half because she just can't read the reactions. So, I mean, it's still happening. That's, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't blame her. I don't blame her at no, all. No, I don't either. When she, you know, was hired by the Mets and it was a great hire, um, you notice that all of a sudden all the conflict of interest questions were coming out, whereas no one asked these things about A-Rod. And mm-hmm. no one even asked these things about the other dudes the Mets hired who had the same conflict of interest literally, like, right before that. So it's it's amazing how all of a sudden, and, you know, they're legitimate concerns. I'm not trying to say that, you know, it's not a legitimate concern, but all of a sudden it's a pressing concern when it's her. And it's these things don't go unnoticed by by female fans and by mm-hmm. women that are following the team. <laughs> and it's these little things like being held to a higher, like a, a slightly higher standard, you might say, but it's those little things, they add up fast. So, you know, maybe Jessica Mendoza needs, you know, to impress some number of more people because 5% of the people just don't like her voice. And then maybe now she also has people who are slightly more concerned about uh, conflict of interest than they would be otherwise. These things, these things add up. And over time, that's where you see women dropping out a lot. And, you know, it's, it's funny, um, Allison, what it makes me think of a lot also is, uh, higher education in the sciences yes. <laughs> where you have where you have people you know women graduating from undergrad at like about the same proportion as men but then they fewer of them go to grad school and fewer of them finish grad school and fewer of them finish their doctorates and fewer of them go into higher ed and fewer of them get promoted like it's it's just it's you know a war of attrition against women and it's a you know that career it's a long career and there are a lot of opportunities for just little chips away yeah i i have talked about this on the site um and actually i really have been thinking for a while of writing a full-length piece about this um because i see so many and i could do a whole pod about this (laughs) so i will I'll, i'll digress and not do a whole pod about it but suffice it to say i see a lot of similarities and parallels between the world of baseball and the world of academia. Um, And how, you know, my graduate program is um, majority female, um, but I could count the number of female professors in my department on one hand. And, and, you know, I work in a public health grad school and I see the exact same thing. And, you know, there are so many, there are so many women now who are, you know, getting into, you know, baseball front offices at the intern level and, you know, writing about baseball, but <laughs> there still hasn't been a female general manager. So, like, it's the same pattern of the higher you go up, the fewer women there are. They're getting in the door, but they're either being pushed out of the door once they're in it, or they're just kind of wandering out on their own because they're like, I don't feel supported here. 
And that's a problem. And And then also it's like, you know, like the Wilpons, like, do, are they bringing in women just to save face or are they doing it out of the sincerity and like really trying to push, you know, being more supportive of women and they don't have the best track record when it comes to that. (laughs) Certainly not. (laughs) Like, so then there's always going to be the questions like, oh, they only did it just because she's a woman. Like, no, that's not helpful either. Like, you need to be supportive when you're interviewing them. Like, say, no, she's super qualified. You know, she kicked ass when she came in in the interview, not just, oh, she wasn't right for us. Like, no, we'll say, you know, why did you hire her? Why did you bring in Jessica Mendoza? What were her qualifications? And that's just just another little little challenge that women in these positions have to deal with is nobody ever looks at a man and wonders did he only get that position because he was a man man. like that just would never occur to anyone and it you know and that doesn't that's not the same thing like having that like wondering that is not the same thing as calling it a death threat to Susan Waldman but they both (laughs) they both end up dragging you down you know, in very, very different quantities, I mean, but Mm -hmm. like, but they're both impediments. And they're both, they're both born of the same toxic mentality of this is my space and she's invading my space. Yes. Yeah. You don't belong. Yeah. You don't belong here. This is our space. Baseball is a man's game, is a white man's game. And it's still, you know, so even if, the, you know, sexism and the racism isn't out in the open, although sometimes it is, but in, you know, the overwhelming majority of the cases now, it's more subtle, um, but it's still there, and baseball is still a white man's game, overwhelmingly so these days, um, especially in, in the booth, in the, in the front office. I was um, just going to say that the booth is a big problem. It's all former players who have certain views of the world, and, you know... I mean, they don't like today's game, but then how they criticize, you know, Yasiel Puig and Manny Machado and, you know, they put it under the curtain of, oh, like, we back in my day, we hustled. But really, did you always hustle 100 percent? Like, or is it there certain things about that player you don't like? Well, when there are more women in the booth, we're going to hear a lot more about domestic violence for example uh-huh. because because there's just a different perspective to have there and i mean yeah you- maybe speak out about it instead of siding with the player and maybe that could be a start I'm just shrugging it off and saying he's got to, you know it's something he's got to work on like making it sort of this very dehumanized like oh it's something that happened to him and not mm-hmm. something that happened to her Right. Exactly. Right. Not something he did to her. Exactly. (laughs) Something that happened, you know? And baseball constantly struggles with how do we attract young people to the game? How do we widen our audience? This is how. Bring more perspectives into the damn booth. Because when Mm -hmm. all you're listening to is old white men talking about how good the game used to be back in my day, (laughs) that's not how you're going to get new fans excited about the game. You get new fans excited about the game by bringing in diverse voices. <laughs> it seems pretty easy to me, but, you know, what the yeah. hell do I know? I'm just a yeah, lady. But what about the shift? The we shift just have a podcast. Like 
Um, so yes, this, you know, is Susan Waldman, the Susan Waldman piece from Laura was shocking. And I mean, in some ways it wasn't shocking in a lot of ways it wasn't shocking, but it's still reading those things and having them hit you and having her say them in her own words was still incredibly impactful. And, you know, I hope that we'll be reading more pieces like this and featuring them on the show. Um, cause we're going to try to, you know, feature the work of female writers, writers of color, um, that we like who write great things about baseball, um, LGBTQ writers, all sorts of writers who are non-cis white dudes. So we're going to try um, to feature the, those pieces in that work. Um, so look out for more um, segments like this in the future. Um, but, you know, we talk about heady topics on this podcast um, and we talk about heavy stuff and we're ready to tackle it head on, but we like to finish every show on a happy note. Um, so now I'm going to bring you our walk-off win segment where each of us talks about what is making us happy this week, baseball or otherwise. So Maggie, let's start with you. What is your walk-off win for this week? Um, my, so my walk-off win for this week was um, Alex Bregman tweeted yesterday that he, uh, yesterday being Monday, that he is acknowledging Autism Awareness Month by donating for every home run he hits to his own charity, AB for Baseball, which is, uh, it's a autism awareness charity. And, and it's just a really like great, it's a, he's a total mensch and always has been like, this, this is not, it's not news that Alex Bregman is, is fabulous, but it's great that he's using his profile to bring awareness to this issue. April is autism awareness month. Um, people very, very close to my heart are autistic. And I would just encourage everyone to take some time this month to find out just all the like wonderful people out there who are autistic and the fascinating, like loving, amazing things that they do. Uh, and I would also suggest that if anybody wants to donate that, uh, a really wonderful, uh, organization in addition to Alex Bregman's is also, uh, the autism self-advocacy network. So that's a great group. Alex Bregman is a mensch. Um, autistic people are amazing and you know, that's it. That's my walk off win. Yay. Alex Bregman. Yay. Look up Yay. causes that are important to you and donate to those causes. If you have spare money or even spare time, they, lots of charities take volunteers. So even if you don't feel like you have monetary resources to give, there is always time and effort to give. This is absolutely true. Yes, that's very important. Linda, what is your walk-off win for this week? Well, kind of keeping with our theme, um, I saw Captain Marvel over the weekend, and ah. I absolutely loved it. Um, <laughs> especially the 90s soundtrack. You can take the girl out of the 90s, but you can't take the 90s out of the girl. Damn right. Um, but it, <laughs> but like I said, kind of going back to the piece, like it didn't feel like they did it just to do it. Like, oh, here's your female superhero now, you know, move it along. Like Brie Larson was just totally badass. Like, but she was also vulnerable and, you know, that's important. Like it's not one or the other. You can don't have to be badass or vulnerable. Like women are both. Um, so I really thought that was well done. I thought she did a good job. Um, I liked her banter with Samuel Jackson. I thought they had good chemistry, like overall. And I thought it was just a good message for girls again to see, you know, the superhero girl on the screen that's like them. And, um, 
So, and also uh, the, there was a totally awesome cat in it too. Goose. Goose was a, definitely a standout from the <laughs> from the movie. So heck yeah, uh, <laughs> I am so, pro cats in films. Yes, <laughs> way to go, Goose. So that's I I loved it. I recommend everybody go see it. Um, and even that, like all the fanboys were trashing it even before it came out. So even that, like you can't even have. But I'm glad that, you know, it ended up doing well and it kind of like showed like, yeah, hell yeah, women can be superheroes and we're here and we're awesome. And I can't wait to see what the Avengers brings to <laughs> which has a city field cameo. So I'm definitely going to be seeing that, too. I am pro anything that makes the edgelords and fanboys mad. So. Uh-huh. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so um, I'll conclude with my walk-off win for this week. So I mentioned earlier that Maggie and I hung out at the ARG, which stands for Amazing Avenue Regional Gathering here. <laughs> ARG. Um, we all, um, on last Saturday, went to McKellar to watch the Mets take on the Nationals. A bunch of us Amazing Avenue folks gathered there. Linda, unfortunately, had to work library life. <laughs> um, sad, sad, sad times. Um, but my walk-off win is just how much fun I had at the ARG and how you know grateful I am for this community. And I'm not going to gush on and on about uh, Amazing Avenue all night, even though I could. Um, but you know, as a person who you know was a grad student, I moved away from home when I started grad school. I started reading Amazing Avenue maybe 2013. 2014 thereabouts um and you know it I don't have a lot of people in my life my day-to-day life to talk about the Mets with and it's one of my biggest passions and it's hard when you don't have people around to share that passion with and Amazing Avenue took me in and gave me a community and during the awesome run of 2015 I finally started like commenting and participating in the site um and then not too long after that I was writing and now here I am and so it's just you know it's so nice that this place and these people have given me a community and I don't just consider all these these Amazing Avenue folks my colleagues I consider them my friends and it's been such a wild ride um to go from you know sad lonely grad student uh who doesn't want to people to talk about the Mets with on the internet to having like all these new friends it's just been wild and it makes me so happy um and being able to do this thing once a year where you actually get to hang out in real life have some beers meet each other's families um it's just been you know it's been great and I had a really great time um so that's my walk-off win for this week is how fantastic the Amazing Avenue community is so and yes, I just wanted I to add that. we have we talked very very briefly about preliminary thoughts around a podcast hangout meetup whatever so hopefully all of our listeners will be able to get involved in that soon that would be super fun um and i would love to make that happen and we had something akin to that when we did the 300th episode of amazing avenue audio before we split off into these uh new shows um and that was super super fun getting to record a live podcast so maybe look out for that from us sometime in the future that would be really fun to be able to get together and do that so hopefully we can make that happen for you guys sometime in the future um but for now thank you guys so so much for listening to the effort first official episode um, of a pod of their own episode number one Um, we're looking forward to being in your feeds every single wednesday Um, follow the show on twitter uh, follow amazing avenue on twitter and get all of our great content we're wrapping up a series on um, 
other extension candidates for the Mets, which might be a future podcast segment. So look out for that. Um, we're doing we're doing recaps of the games every day now that now that the games have started up. Um, so you know, look out for all of that content. Um, and don't forget, there is no crying in podcasting. And let's go. Back.